The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You good? Did you enjoy 71 degrees when you woke up this morning? Didn't it feel good? Man, fall, you are welcome here. We're so glad. You're here this morning. Well, my name is Matt, and I'm excited to uh, open up the scriptures with you this morning. If you happen to bring a Bible, we'd invite you to open up to the book of Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five, we're gonna start in verse one this morning. We are in the fourth week of a series we've called Unusual Suspects. And so if you didn't happen to bring a Bible, that's okay. We're gonna put it on the screen, and uh, you can follow along. So you can turn it to, turn it on. Luke chapter five, verse one. Before I pray for us and our time in the scriptures together, uh, didn't you enjoy the word? this morning. Wasn't it so good? Our guys do a great job leading us in worship. For all of you Latter-day Saints that arrive at like 10.15, 10.20, you're missing out. You're missing out on our first worship set. They do a great job. Excited. Let me pray for us. And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to jump right into the scripture this morning. No opening illustration. We're just going to jump right in. Can you see me? Are we good on the stage? Is the lighting good here? Maybe you need to turn it up a little bit. Let me pray for us. And uh, we're going to jump right in. Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, this moment has never happened before. This moment will never happen again. God, this is the day you've given us. You don't promise tomorrow. God, you've got breath in our lungs today. So God, may you speak to us, Lord, about taking advantage of every opportunity, surrendering our lives to you, Jesus. God, as we read the scriptures, the most important words I will speak today, God, would you take those words by the spirit of the living God, speak to us deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, Amen and amen. Luke chapter five, starting in verse one. I've preached this passage at Story City before. There's actually four of these accounts throughout the gospels. And I've preached the account from Matthew chapter four last summer. But this is a, 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 the same account, but a little bit different. And I'm gonna focus on the last two verses of Luke chapter five, verses one through 11 this morning. But I wanna read through this text this morning, if you'll read with me. Luke chapter five, starting in verse one, the scripture is gonna be on the screen. And Luke, the author, says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him. We've seen this already in the first uh, chapter of Luke, chapter four, that we started this series in. And they're listening to the word of God. He's preaching, he's teaching. It's Jesus' primary ministry here. Verse two, and Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats. They were left there by fishermen who were washing their nets, their day was done, their job was done for the day, they're packing it all in, verse three, and he got into one of the boats that was belonging to Simon, we know him as Peter, and he asked him to put out a little bit from shore. Jesus is using the amplification of the water to preach to who knows how many people, but it was a massive crowd, and so he tells Peter, put out the boat a little bit from shore, and then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now he's done with the crowds, he's gonna look at a few, and he looks at them and he says, Peter, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I preached this back in January, the message was titled, let down the nets. Verse six, verse five, I'm sorry, Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse six, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Verse eight, 
When Simon Peter saw this, Jesus has given Simon Peter a vision for the rest of his life. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Verse nine, for he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. The other three passages in the gospels tell us that Andrew was also there. Now listen to verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. We're getting our first glimpse here in Luke chapter five of the people, the first people that Jesus asked to follow him and follow him intimately. And so these are the guys, these four guys, along with several others, are gonna be the ones that are gonna follow Jesus the most closely and the most intimately over the next three years. And these are the people that Jesus is going to choose to literally turn the world upside down. Our lives have been affected 2,000 years later because of these men Jesus chose and asked to follow him. Now, I want you to consider for a moment. I'm gonna focus on these last two verses here in Luke chapter five, verse 10 and 11. I want you to consider just for a moment the people that God called here in this passage, and specifically, I want you to consider how Jesus called them. Any of you guys play fantasy football? Anybody a fantasy football player? All right, welcome. Today is our, uh, the start of NFL football. My 10-year-old son was working trades this morning in anticipation for football starting this morning. Well, we did our draft a couple weeks ago, a couple guys on staff, a couple guys around the country that are all playing in this league, and we did our draft a couple weeks ago. I haven't played fantasy football in years. I did it one time, put my team on like auto mode and never went back to it, and they never invited me back to the league again, but, but we drafted two weeks ago, and there were several guys in our league who, who couldn't participate in the draft live because they had stuff going on, but ESPN has this ability where you can pre-select guys who have great potential. They'll already tell you these guys are already ranked. This is the number one quarterback. This is the number four running back. This is the best wide receiver, and you can pre-select them, put them in a column, and when it's your turn to draft, if those guys are available, ESPN will auto-draft the best available. Any you guys do a draft like that? Uh, I, some of you guys do it like that. Can I say to you this morning, God doesn't operate on the best available draft. God doesn't operate on the best available model. Well, let's see who we've got here. Let's, let's see who we got. Well, she speaks well, and, and well, he's got a good personality. Oh, he works out, so everybody will think that he's disciplined. God does not work on the best available draft method. God doesn't choose who he's going to use based on how skillful and how able you are. God chooses us based on whether or not we are willing, whether or not we are willing. Now, you need to understand what's happening here in, in Luke chapter 5. These four fishermen are not the best Jewish boys available. The fact that they're working in their family business tells us a couple things. Number one, they didn't make the cut. They weren't chosen by rabbis to be mentored so that they would eventually become rabbis. Jewish tradition told us that the cut would be made at 10 years old, and then at 17 years old, those men would be drafted by rabbis to be mentored. The fact that these young adults are working in the family business tells us they were not the best available Jewish boys. And it's a great principle for us here this morning. It's a great principle for us here this morning because people um, with great ability, 
typically are not the types of people that are used to relying on someone or something in their life. That's not always the case. God uses people who are incredibly gifted and incredibly skillful, but a lot of times people who have a lot of talent and a lot of ability, oftentimes they get themselves in the way. Why? Because they won't rely on Jesus to do the work through them. There's a good principle here and the church needs to understand it and realize it that God's work in the world does not come from our abilities for him. God's work in the world comes from what he wants to do through us, and that's always been the case. It's always been the case. If you read the Bible, you see these people all over the pages of scripture in spite of who they are, in spite of what they did not bring to the table, God chose to use them. If you think about Abraham and Sarah, they were doubters that God could do what he said he was gonna do. If you think about Moses, Moses self-proclaimed, God, I'm not a great public speaker. In fact, I lack the confidence to stand in front of people and speak. You think about a Samson. Samson was as arrogant, Samson was hard-headed, yet God chose to use him. And then you think about Peter here in Luke chapter five. Peter here is a man who is impulsive. Peter acts before he ever thinks. Peter's also, by the way, just a common fisherman. Peter's in a common trade. Peter is a common person, yet God chose to use him. Can I ask you this morning, have you ever considered that God may wanna use you? Have you ever considered that maybe God wants to use your life for his kingdom and his glory? Or maybe some of you this morning are thinking, you know what, surely there's other people that God chooses to use. They've got something else that I don't have. Surely God will choose the best available person. Can I tell you about Dylan Novak? He's become a friend of mine. Dylan is currently 24 years old. But Dylan started sharing the gospel with celebrities when he was 13 years old. Dylan's not starstruck by celebrities. Dylan simply wants people to know Jesus. And so at 13 years old, he went to this comic book convention and he shared the gospel with this lady. And then he went home and he prayed, God, would you send someone to share the gospel with this lady? And he believed that God said, why not you? If you met Dylan this morning, you'd be blown away. D Dylan would self-describe himself as a comic book nerd. Dylan is not the most capable communicator. Dylan is for sure not an extrovert. Dylan would not describe himself as a person who had abilities that God would look at and say, this is the guy I need to use. He's got a way of approaching people and telling funny stories that they open up and he can share the gospel and people get saved. Yet, Dylan is a person who is simply willing to be used by God. And God used him tremendously. God used this kid tremendously. He shared the gospel with over 500 celebrities over the last few years. Just this past week, Dylan shared the gospel with Michael Jackson's brothers, Jackie and Tito. He shared the gospel with 90s country band Ricochet. <laughs> I don't even know who they are, but... <laughs> If country's not your thing, he also shared the gospel this past week with Paul Stanley, know who he is? Lead singer of Kiss. Last week, he shared the gospel with a Star Wars actor. He shared the gospel with Tyler Maine from X-Men and Halloween. Last week, he shared the gospel with Dwayne Chapman, the bounty hunter. Now, I know who that dude is, I like him. He shared the gospel with Ed Asner from the Mary Tyler Show last week. He shared the gospel with Tom Cruise. He shared the gospel with Steven Tyler, Jay Leno. He's even shared the gospel with President Donald Trump who wrote him a letter back and said, thank you for the materials that you gave me. 
And so Dylan finds these opportunities where he knows celebrities are gonna be and he approaches them and most of them he has opportunity to speak with them, but just in case he doesn't, he's got a pre-prepared package of stuff that he's put together and he's got a handwritten letter that he's researched what that celebrity believes and he's addressed that person in a very kind and loving way in a handwritten letter. He puts a Bible in there. He also puts a book that's written by one of our friends and Dylan has the opportunity to share the gospel. If he stood here today, he would not tell you, I'm super talented. He would not tell you, I've got super abilities. He would say, I'm a self-proclaimed comic book nerd. But what Dylan is, is available. What Dylan is, is available. Church, let me say to you this morning, when we are willing, God is able. When we are willing, God is able. That's what we see here in Luke chapter five with these four fishermen. When we are willing, God is able to work through us. Now I want you to see how Peter, James, and John, and Andrew respond to Jesus's invite to follow him. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this, so they pulled their boats up on shore. This is after they saw the miraculous catch of fish. Jesus has given all of them a vision for the rest of their life. So they pulled their boats up on shore, their butts. They pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. If you read the corresponding passage in Matthew chapter four, verse 19, if you read the corresponding passage in Mark chapter one, verse 17, what you will see is the text will say, Jesus will say, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Luke leaves out the come follow me part here in Luke chapter five, but it's implied that Jesus invites them to leave their current life for the life that he's asking them and offering to them. And Luke tells us, they left everything and they followed Jesus. The Matthew passage says they left their boat and they left their father and they followed Jesus. In other words, they left the two most important things in their life. They left their career and they left the most significant relationships in their life. If you're gonna follow Jesus this morning, the principle is everything in your life, uh, Jesus must take precedence over everything in your life. Honestly, quite possibly, this is the least, this is the least attractive offer. Doesn't it seem like that Christianity offers to people? Think about it, give up what you have. Deny yourself. Think about the offer that Christianity makes to people. Leave everything. The culture says something completely different. Get more. Take advantage of everything in your life. Consume everything you can. But for most of us, listen, most of us, for most of us, we won't have to literally leave our mothers and our fathers. Most of us won't have to literally leave our career or our business over Jesus. Some of you might. Some of you might when you choose to follow Jesus. I think about this girl who was uh, part of the um, uh, Islamic faith in, in high school when I was a youth pastor in Atlanta, she came to an event and gave her life to Jesus. She came to me in tears and she said, if I go home and tell my mom and dad what's happened to me today, they'll never let me come back here again, but I want to know Jesus. Some of you may be called to leave mothers and fathers. But listen to me, God may call some of you away from your family if you follow him. God may call some of you away from your careers if you follow him. There's people in our church today who are processing 
processing do I leave what I'm currently doing to follow Jesus in full-time ministry? But for most of us, for most of us this morning, when we follow Jesus, it's not gonna be that dramatic. It won't be that dramatic that we pack up and make a cross-country move and we follow Jesus. It's simply gonna be moments where we decide We have to decide what is utmost importance in my life at this time and this moment and this decision in my affections and in my actions. Maybe if you're a high school student this morning, maybe you're the only student in your friend group. Maybe the only student in your friend group, maybe in your class, maybe in your grade. Maybe you're the only student who has chosen to willingly follow Jesus. Maybe you're the one who says, this, you take the label, that religious boy. Maybe you're the one who takes that virgin girl. And you're going to have to decide in those moments what's most important in your life. You're going to have to decide, who do I want to be? You're going to have to decide, am I going to be intimidated? What about those of us in the room this morning who are pursuing careers and business. It will be those moments where you face temptation. You cut corners. You you can be dishonest. And by the way, everybody does it, but do you trust God enough in that moment? And are you patient enough in ways that honor God in that decision? That's what it means to follow Jesus. Have you ever considered, have you ever considered the weight of what Jesus is asking when he calls us to follow after him. Have you ever considered that? Jesus could not make it more clear than what he says in Luke chapter nine, verse 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If you follow a modern version of Christianity that does not call you to denial and surrender, you're not following biblical Christianity. Those who follow Jesus have an unusual calling to surrender. Those who follow Jesus have an unusual calling to surrender. And when we follow Jesus, it implies that we put everything in our life behind Jesus. Culture says, put every desire you have, put every want that you have before everything else in life, especially any sort of religion. I can prove it to you this morning. I can prove it to you this morning. There are two things in your life that you spend every single day. You spend them every single day. You spend time and you spend money. Think about the money that you spend every single day. What have you spent money on this week? Think about it, that, you, that intentionally honored Jesus. Maybe it was a meal, maybe it was coffee. There's a guy in this room this morning, a man in this room this morning who literally sends me a text every single week. He invites me to lunch every single week and I believe he honors the Lord in desiring to build relationships that point each other to Jesus. How have you considered Jesus this week in your spending? How, what have you refrained yourself from spending this week because it would keep you strapped to debt? What have you refrained yourself from spending this week because it would keep you from being generous? What have you asked Jesus to give you wisdom about before you purchased? How have you put your money behind Jesus rather than in front of him? You know, when you put your money in front of Jesus, I'm sorry, behind Jesus, it has to go through him before you ever spend it. 
You put your money in front of Jesus. You have the temptation to never look back and say, Jesus, what do you think? How have you put your money behind Jesus? How has your money been surrendered to Jesus? I believe finances is one of the areas that most Christians demonstrate. Now listen, I said Christians. You may be saved, but it's one of the areas that most Christians demonstrate. I've never really become a disciple I've never really chosen to be, to be mentored and shaped by Jesus because they won't obey God in this area. And some people think, well, pastors just teach on money because they want to get your money. Can I say to you this morning, I want to challenge you this morning. Give your money somewhere else besides Story City Church. We'll be financially fine without your money. But I challenge you, trust God. Take God seriously with your money. Put it behind Jesus. Make your money pass through Jesus before you ever spend a dime. But listen, do not continue to deceive yourself in the area of finances by refusing to obey Jesus in them and still believe that you're a disciple of Jesus. Listen to what the scripture says. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Listen to Luke chapter 16, verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? How do you spend your money? You spend money and time every day. Think about the time that you spend every day. What part of your day has been spent considering Jesus? What part of your day has been spent involving Jesus to other people? What part of your week has been spent surrendering to Jesus' shaping of your life? What part of your week has been given to following Jesus with your mind? What part of your week has been given to following Jesus with your body? What part of your week has been given to following Jesus with your resources? How has your time been surrendered to Jesus this week? Listen to what the scripture says. Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Psalm 90, 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Ephesians 5, 16. Make the best use of time because the days are evil. Following Jesus means we surrender everything in our life to his lordship. It means you pursue the things that Jesus has blessed. You forsake the things that Jesus has forbidden. Listen, this is an unusual calling. It's an unusual calling to surrender ourselves to Jesus. We surrender our emotions We surrender our affections. We surrender our physical body. We surrender our mind. We surrender our future. Think about it. I say to God, God, I've got an open hand. Whatever you want in my life in the future, it all belongs to you. We surrender our present. God, today at lunch, wherever it may be, I surrender my present to you to be sent to those around me. I surrender my job. I surrender myself to say, God, I'm going to work unto you and not unto myself. We surrender our families. We have an open hand and we say to God, God, I want to lead my family in such a way that they know you are more important than grades, than scholarships, than sports, than promotions. Hello. We surrender our bank accounts. We surrender our entertainment. We surrender our homes. We surrender our marriages. Why? Because the trajectory of being a disciple is towards giving away, not consuming more, not taking in more, 
not getting everything we can in this little bit of time on this earth while we are here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he would know. Great author, pastor. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would know, and he says when Christ bids a man to follow, he bids him to come and die. By the way, that's the example of Jesus, don't you know? That's the example of Jesus when Jesus was crucified on a hill in Jerusalem, the last remaining physical possessions that Jesus had were all gambled away. They were all gambled away to four soldiers. Everything Jesus had was given or taken away, but in giving everything, including his life for us and his death for us, what happened? We gained life. <laughs> and God resurrected Jesus from death, and he brought life to the world. It's the same way the church, it's the same way you receive power and joy today. We give ourselves away for the glory of God. And so this invitation to surrender that we see here is the most transformative experience of your life. And some of you have not yet tried it to understand, but you just have to take my word. It's the most transformative experience of your life. By the way, it's the most transformative experience that our culture needs. And here in Luke chapter five, we see the first disciples. They surrendered their profession. The first disciples surrendered their boats. They surrendered the largest catch they had ever had. They walked away from all of it. And some of us may say, you know what? I want to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost me. Now, none of us would ever say that. And theologically, we, we, uh, we surrender. Theologically, we understand denial, but practically, we live opposite so many times. I want to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Now, bear with me, because I, I, uh, I, I'm your pastor this morning, and I want to speak with passion and compassion. I'm like your dad here this morning. I have to say something hard, but I'm still going to be here when it's all over, all right? That attitude is called cheap grace. We love grace, don't we? We love God's offer of free salvation. We love that God is generous, but we need to be careful that God's grace isn't cheap. The essence of fellowship is that I deny myself, that I surrender myself to Jesus, and that act alone is not cheap. There's no denial if there's no surrender happening in my life, then God's grace is cheap to me. Peter leaves everything. He follows Jesus. He didn't, he didn't stay back to, to, to sell his fish. He didn't, he didn't delay so that he could get his affairs in order. He didn't, he didn't hold off on time so he could list his boat and all of his equipment on eBay. Peter followed Jesus and he left it all. What if you surrendered to follow Jesus this morning? What if you... Surrender to follow Jesus. You know, we live in a culture, we live in a time and an era in our history when self-absorption, self-entitlement is all time. And, and even in the church, we see it happening and there are people who don't know their non-Christian neighbors, they don't know any non-Christians, they don't care about non-Christians, they don't even talk to non-Christians in most every church across America this morning, 75% of the people are served and carried by 25% of the congregation. And so there's these faithful few. 
There's these faithful few that, that, that serve and pray and give and counsel to make it happen. And then there's the rest who enjoy what the 25% do and the three-fourths do next to nothing when it comes to serving and giving. Now listen to me. I realize this is not something that's gonna draw crowds. It may cause some of you to never come back again, but I wanna say I'm your pastor this morning and I wanna speak with passion and compassion to you because I want the best for your life. What if today, after the service, I said to you, Look at yourself, find two people around you, and then I want the three of you to find one person, and I want the three of you to climb on their back and ask them to walk you home. <laughs> You'd be like, well, Pastor, that's kind of cruel. That's unfair. That, 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 that's unwise. But listen, that's exactly what's happening in the church. Three people climb on one person's back, and they say, pay my bills, serve me, take care of my needs, and that's why faithful leaders burn out because they're giving so much of themselves, they're giving so much of their time, they don't have a day of Sabbath, they don't have a day of rest, and faithful leaders get burned out, and what makes it even worse is when they're selfish, greedy consumers who walk into a church and have the audacity to say, but I didn't get my needs met, nobody greeted me this morning, the music wasn't very good, good this morning. Well, can I say to you, when three people are piggybacking one person and their legs start to buckle and you complain because you didn't like the piggyback, that's very unloving. And so the mark of immaturity this morning, by the way, I I believe Story City uh, has so many faithful people. The mark of immaturity as a disciple is to not surrender myself. The mark of immaturity is to think, you know what? It's all about me. It's all about what I want, not what I give. And you know this to be true. There are a million reasons why we don't give ourselves away. Well, I'm new, pastor. I'm single, pastor. I'm married, pastor. I've got three kids, pastor. Uh, There's a million reasons why we don't give ourselves away. But listen to me this morning. If God has saved you, it's you. If God has changed you, it's you. Our church needs you. Our cities need you. I believe one of the greatest opportunities that people miss in life is when they come to see Jesus, but they don't come to surrender to Jesus. This morning, have you surrendered to Jesus? Now, when we surrender to Jesus, I want you to see something in verse 10, and I'm gonna quickly run through this real quick, and then I want us to celebrate something this morning. When we die to ourselves, I believe it's vital, not only to ourselves and our joy, the power God wants to give us, it's vital to the church, it's vital to our cities, but look what happens. This is why, verse 10. Jesus tells Peter in verse 10, then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for People. You know what the essence of a disciple is? The essence of a disciple is someone who is sent out to bring people back to Jesus. To be sent out to bring people back to Jesus. This is something all of us do. This is actually Disciple 101. The mission statement of Story City Church and every church in America and around the world should come and be formed by two verses in Matthew chapter 28. Can I read those verses for you? 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And Jesus then gives this promise, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Everything we do, everything we do as a church is derived from this call to make disciples. This is the core of our women's ministry. This is the core of why we do kids ministry. This is the core of why we do student ministry. This is the core of our teaching ministry. This is the core of our community group ministry. This is the core of planting churches. This is the core of starting campuses. You name the ministry. This is the why behind all of it. But it will never happen until we surrender ourselves to Jesus's mission and his calling. And it's what we do. It's what all of us do. It's not just what the church does. It's what we as individuals do. It's something all followers press into. Robert Coleman wrote a great book that I studied while I was in seminary. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It's still used today to train ministry leaders. It's a great book. I read it in seminary. And let me just read you a little bit of what he said. He said, when will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism, nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers. Now, you got to remember, he's writing like in the 1950s here, Christian training classes. We don't think we do these anymore. We call them growth groups. For Christian workers, do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. Can I say this even more poignant and personal to you? God's plan is not something, it's you. <laughs> it's you. It's me. And I want to be a part of a church, and I'm excited, and I'm grateful to be a part of a church. I believe this describes Story City. To be excited about what Jesus is excited about. What is Jesus excited about? Fishing for men. He's excited about people meeting him. And so Jesus gives Peter this new vision for his life. And it's no longer about the Simon Peter fishing company. It's no longer about how many boats do I have. It's no longer about how many fish do I catch. It's about people and people who need Jesus. Now listen, Jesus' invitation here to Peter is to help him get people back to Jesus. That's Peter's invitation. That's our invitation as well, to help people Get people back to Jesus. So can I close with a few questions this morning? Can I close with a couple of questions this morning? Number one, how are you giving yourself to Jesus and his mission? Are you pouring yourself out for ministry today? How are you pouring yourself out today? Secondly, if you're giving yourself to Jesus's mission, are you getting rest and, and Sabbath and solitude? The last thing we really wanna do as a church, is make a plea for people surrendering themselves to the mission of God. And what typically happens is the faithful become even more faithful. And they're like, I'm doing 12 hours and I'm gonna do 18 hours. The last thing we wanna do is ask faithful people to be even more faithful. We wanna ask those people who are doing nothing to, to ask God and to ask the Spirit to convict those who are doing nothing. Why? So we all don't burn out here. So we all are, are plugged into Jesus presently. Third, what is Jesus' mission in his church costing you? Jesus gave his life for the church. I believe we should give ours as well. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Well, for the first disciples, it meant that they left everything. 
Can I say to you this morning, this is why we celebrate. This is why we celebrate the sending out of people. This is the reason. We celebrate the unusual surrendering of a person's life for the gospel. Think about what we've celebrated on this stage this year, if you've been around for a while. We celebrated the Powell family who moved to Hawaii. No, suspend judgment. I know that doesn't seem like a, like a major sacrifice, but they went to Hawaii to help start a church. Kyle and Sarah Wolf, I traded text messages yesterday with Kyle. They, they moved to Spain to follow Jesus in college ministry. Think about Andy and Hannah Barefoot. We celebrated God sending them out to lead worship at a church here in LA. We celebrated recently last month, Jason and Rachel Polk, who left their family and everything familiar to plant a church in Anaheim. Last year, we celebrated Travis Cunningham and his family, who left a great job to plant a church in Rancho Cucamonga. We celebrate unusual surrendering of our lives to Jesus. And I know what some of you think. Well, all of those people are pastors and missionaries, but pastors and missionaries are not the only people and they're not the only ones who surrender their lives to Jesus in unusual ways. There's a couple in this auditorium this morning who are some of our, uh, my wife and I's best friends in the entire world. One of the greatest examples of surrendering their lives to Jesus. When we said we got to go plant a church in Los Angeles, this is what God's calling us to do. Our household, they said, don't worry about it. Live in our basement for six months. They, they give their time Time. They give unusual amounts of time to students in Atlanta. They give unusual amounts of time to adults in Atlanta. John is the COO of a large company in Atlanta. He could spend all of his life consuming more, 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 more. But the pattern of their life is to give themselves away. They're here today. You know why? They come out two, three, four times a year to encourage our family. And it's a blessing. They surrender themselves to God's ministry and what he wants for their life life. They're financial contributors. He wouldn't want me to tell you. They're financial contributors to Story City Church, and they only see this church three, four times a year. What is your life worth leaving for today? The disciples followed Jesus. They left everything. Why? To be with Jesus and to bring others back to him. Today, we celebrate a family in our church who surrendered everything to follow Jesus. Five years ago, they came out with us to plant a church here in Burbank. And as we began to process what God was doing in Granada Hills, as we began to process what we were gonna do in Granada Hills, start a second church, start a new location, one church in two different locations, we began to process what is your part in this and we went back and forth and back and forth. It wasn't a flippant consideration by this person to say, God, what are you doing in my life? This person surrendered himself to what Jesus was wanting and saying to him and today they are surrendering to go be the campus pastor at our new Granada Hills location. I'm so excited today. I'm so excited today to one, celebrate an unusual surrendering of a person's life and a family's life. I'm also excited to celebrate today that Tyler and Brooke Miller are gonna go be our campus pastors in Granada Hills at our new Granada Hills location. <laughs> Tyler's been processing this for several months. We've been processing it together and Tyler came three weeks ago and said, I know this is what God has done. And I know it's gonna be a challenge, it's gonna be stretching. Quite honestly, it would be, 
I think, maybe a little bit easier to stay here. But now he's putting himself on the front lines to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow Jesus and surrender what he says I need to do. We celebrate that today. We celebrate an unusual surrendering of our lives to what Jesus wants to do in us. Now, can I close and ask you this morning, are you a disciple? Some of you have never become a disciple. You've seen Jesus, but you've never surrendered to him. Maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but you've never really followed Jesus. The gospel tells us that we need Jesus because he did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. He came to earth because we couldn't save ourselves. He came to earth to save us by dying a death that even our death could not save ourselves. He was condemned on a cross for our sins. He paid our penalty and today he offers you the free gift of salvation. Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus and become a follower of Jesus? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about, have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus, had your sins forgiven and said, Jesus, my eyes are fixed on you and I'm following you, Jesus. Have you ever done that? I wanna invite you to do that today. And I'm gonna do that in just a second, but let me speak to the rest of us in here. Are you committed to God's mission in our city? If so, I want you to pray something like this in just a moment as we sing. Jesus, I surrender every single part of my life to you. My relationships, my career, my finances, my future. Jesus, it all belongs to you. And I acknowledge today, it's in your hands. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna sing a song, I'm gonna close out. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, to follow him, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, to save you, today is the day. You came to see, but Jesus is asking you, will you surrender? There's nothing magical or mystical about it. We don't make you stand on the stage, say anything you don't wanna say. We don't embarrass you today. We simply ask you right there where you're seated, your seat is an altar. You go before God and you say, God, I acknowledge today I have sinned against you. There's nothing I can do about it, but thank you, Jesus, that you did something about it when you died on the cross. So Jesus, would you save me today? And today I turn from my sins and I decide I'm gonna follow you the rest of my life if you've never been saved. Would you do that right now, right now for the rest of us this morning who call ourselves believers? Are you surrendered to the mission of God in our city? Jesus, thank you for this moment. God, thank you for a moment of celebration, of unusual surrendering, denial, surrender, words our culture loathes, but Jesus, you love them. And God, when we understand them, we know there's the joy, there's the power in life when we are unusually surrendered to you and you alone. God, may we be that church. God, thank you for the people in this church who are, who we see every single day, every single week, who are surrendering themselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.